From historic homes to modern architecture, brick is one of the most popular building materials around the world. How to allow the house to bridge the gap between the history of the site, the approachability of this kind of architecture in this kind of neighborhood, and the sort of nostalgia of materiality for, for the client's past, right? And, and brick really started to provide an answer for that. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. There aren't many materials that easily blend with any style and context, but brick does just that. I've seen some extraordinary work with brick, so when Glenn Gary approached me about hosting this podcast, I couldn't say no. Typically, Tudor-style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure, and when you go in, it's just sad, Yeah. dark. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design. I speak with industry leaders and share inspiring stories behind their work and ingenious design. You'll see brick that's fashioned into basket weave patterns, sawtooth patterns, what's known in England as diapering. Doesn't sound like you knew them per se, right? They found you through relationships that you had with other. Well, wait, Doug, there's more. Okay. <laughs> we'll go behind the scenes to understand process and even the inspiration that sparked the design. You know, I think we were inspired by all the factory buildings in, in Dumbo. I mean, that is the kind of period of significance that early American factory building. Design Vault by Glenn Gary. Visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault or search for Design Vault wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now to stretch your imagination. Yeah, I'm probably going to sound a little bit raspy on this, but <clears throat> I sound way better than I did. So beautiful. It's your sexy voice. My sexy phlegm, yeah, as Phoebe would say. <laughs> smelly cat, smelly cat. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is tools and inventions. We're talking about ladies that invented something or were involved in the development of a tool used in our field. On today's episode, we will talk about Edith Clark, the first female electrical engineer who patented the first graphing calculator. I'm Lizzie Rahr, getting over a cold in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica Nergidi. I'm Nergidi Rivas, taking a shot of Liquor 43 to clear my sinuses, coming to you from <laughs> Houston, Texas. It's medicinal properties. Yep. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm Jessica Rogers, popping extra vitamins to prevent the back-to-school cooties, based out of Miami, Florida. Time for our disclaimer. The three of us are not experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information that we find in a conversational, fun manner. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Send us an email and we'll all continue learning. All right, ladies, today we're heading to Maryland. Mm. Edith Clark was born on February 10, 1883 in Ellicott City, Maryland, which is just outside of Baltimore. Her parents were John Ridgely Clark and Susan Dorsey Owings. Her dad was a lawyer and a gentleman farmer. <laughs> What's a gentleman farmer? To me, it sounds like a person with status, with title and land that did farming as a hobby and not as a way to earn a living. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I had to look this one up too. Essentially, a gentleman farmer is someone who farms for fun, like Nergidi said. They have a day job that lets them farm on the side, but they don't have to make a living from the farm. See, I nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I would like that, though. I could be a lady farmer. I could see that sort of mm-hmm. like my mom did. My mom was a. Oh, yeah, that's right. A lady farmer for a time. Yeah, a farmer lady, a lady farmer. OK, but sad news right out of the gate, guys. Edith became an orphan at age 12. Oh, oh. dang, right out the gate. Poor Edith. Mm-hmm. What just happened? How did she lose both her parents at such a young age? Was there like an accident or something? Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how they died. I just know that her dad died first and then her mom a few years later. Mm. Oh. She was one of nine siblings. I don't know where she was in the lineup, but I think on the younger end, because it sounds like their uncle became their guardian when their parents died. But it was her older sister, Mary, who actually raised her and her siblings. Whoa. OK, so one of nine. Like, mm. And then for the uncle, like, oh, wow, what a major responsibility to raise nine kids. Yeah, that's a big ask for an uncle. As an aunt of four, I don't know how I would feel about taking on nine kids all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like he was doing much, though, if you ask me. That is true. Oh, and okay. But like, what if he just didn't want kids like all together and now he has like nine that he's responsible for? So it's just it's responsibility. But yikes. Yeah. I also feel like after, you know, like five these kids start like raising each other and taking care of one another. So maybe for the uncle, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it was more like Mary financial responsibility or like, you know, guardianship kind of thing. But he. okay, Mm. got it. Yeah. All right. Jessica, once again, I feel like I'm hitting you every time that this is all the info I have on her early life. Mm. Yeah. Well, c'est la vie. That's. This is how our stories are, I guess. Our story picks up when Edith is 18 and she receives her inheritance. Not sure how much it was, but in 1904, when she was 21, she decided to use her inheritance for an education and enrolled at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. <laughs> Vassar, again. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that she was able to take her inheritance herself There wasn't some Mm. BS Mm. that she had to get married to get her inheritance, but not really because her husband would get it. Mm. Right. True. And also, okay, shout out to Vassar because we just did an episode last week on a Vassar graduate. Okay, so the idea of an inheritance, right? Like that also gives you a little bit of insight into her childhood, I guess, her early life that her parents had some money. So, eh. Sure. Still nice. He could farm on the side, you know, so. Exactly. They were gentlemen and dames. <laughs> <laughs> also like how she used her inheritance. Like, good job, mm-hmm. Edith. Yeah. Get your education on. Yeah, because I would have been shopping, y'all. But anyway, go Edith. <laughs> <laughs> well, at Vassar, she studied math and astronomy. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa with a BA in 1908. Mm. Okay, what an interesting combination of majors. Astronomy, not to be confused with mythology or astrology like we've done before on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are you guys ready for a bit of rapid fire and a little bit of where in the world is Edith? 
Let's do it. Gonna have to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after graduating, Edith heads to San Francisco. Woo! Yay! (laughs) She gets a job teaching math and physics at a private school there. Hey, she's in your town, Lizzie. You Mm -hmm. can go visit her. After a year, though, she heads back east and teaches at Marshall College in Huntington, West Virginia for two years. (laughs) Damn. Okay. That's quick. (laughs) I wonder what happened. Why the sudden change, Edith? That's a big move. Mm -hmm. No, no clue. So it turns out she didn't really like teaching that much. And in 1911, she got really sick, like almost died. And she said, quote, thinking I was going to die, I just decided to do what I really wanted to study engineering. So after she recovered, she headed to the University of Wisconsin in Madison to study civil engineering. Literally a life changing experience. (laughs) What a whirlwind. Mm hmm. Apparently, even that didn't get Edith to stick around, though. So the summer after her freshman year at Wisconsin, she worked at American Telephone and Telegraph Company, a.k.a. AT&T, in New York City as a computer. Mm. And she loved it. So she took a full time job there instead of going back to school. I forget that that's what AT&T stood for. So, right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) So Edith was basically a calculator. So being a computer is a position. At first, when you said that, I was like, did she turn into a robot? (laughs) Yeah. So they're computing the equations needed to make all of the telephone lines work. Oh, right. Yeah. So unsurprisingly, it was tough for women to get hired as engineers, even with degrees in math and science at the time. So instead, they often hired women to do computing. Think about Katherine Johnson and Hidden Figures again at NASA, right? Mm -hmm. They're actually doing all the calculating by hand, but their job title was computer. Right. Right. That's exactly what this reminds me of. So while at AT AT&T, she was working under Dr. George Campbell as his personal computer. Okay. (laughs) The term personal computer sounds a little funny to me. Like, I don't know. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. Kind of cringe, but kind of funny. I don't know. Well, now we have personal computers called our cell phones. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> they're not people. It's the fact that she was like a person anyway. That it was a title. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this George Campbell guy, he was cool. He was an engineer that worked on long distance telephone and telegraphy. He was an important figure to AT&T and he was able to accomplish a lot for telecommunications. Cool. So Edith was trusted by this very important guy which makes Edith very important to to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, luckily, our girl Edith really likes math. So it was fun for her to work on things like hyperbolic functions, equivalent circuits, and graphical analysis. Guys, I liked math in school, but I don't know if that would give me as much joy as it did for Edith. I'm glad somebody (laughs) likes it. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to do it. Glad that she was finally doing something she was passionate about. (laughs) Yeah, because it couldn't be me. <laughs> she eventually moved up to be the manager of a group of women who did calculations for the transmission and protection engineering department of AT&T during World War One. Sounds very important. Yes, it sounds very much like the movie Hidden Figures, but with AT&T instead of NASA. <laughs> oh, Hollywood producers out there. Here's a movie waiting to be made. Edith Clark and AT&T. We should note today's episode. Is not sponsored by AT&T, but maybe it should be. I mean, honestly. Yeah. 
1915, she was still working at AT AT&T, but decided to start going to school at night as well. Between 1915 and 1918, she took classes in radio at Hunter College and electrical engineering at Columbia. Here we go. Why are ladies gotta overachieve? Why can't they just chill? Mm. But you know what? (laughs) At the same time, if she had the energy and the drive to do all this, who am I to tell her to chill? Keep getting your education on, Edith. Don't let haters hate. Yeah, I ain't hating. I'm just jealous of her energy because like after work, I want to take a nap. I want to sit down on the couch and watch (laughs) reality TV and eat snacks. Like that's what I want to do. I can't think I can barely do laundry right after work. You know, I just I don't know how anyone I admire people that can do that. So anyway, shout out to Norma Merrick Scaleric, our episode two lady. She went to Columbia and I feel like probably like a couple of our other ladies did, too. And they probably went to Hunter College as well. I think so. Yay. Well, in 1918, Edith finally decides to really go for her engineering degree and enrolls full time at MIT to study electrical engineering. And in 1919, she graduated with her master's in science in electrical engineering. She was the first woman to earn that degree from MIT. Wait, didn't she already have a civil engineering degree? Mm, No, she only did one year before taking that job at AT AT&T. Oh, right. Well... Now she got to make history at MIT. How wonderful is that? Mm-hmm. I also appreciate like how nonlinear her life has been. Like she's moving all around, finding her. <laughs> yeah, her passion. It's cool. I like it. I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> What's she's happen? following her arrow wherever it points. Thank you. <laughs> so lovely. Okay. So her thesis title was Behavior of a Lumpy Artificial Transmission Line as the Frequency is Indefinitely Increased. (laughs) (laughs) Another show-stopping thesis title. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Gotta work on getting these ladies some catchier titles. (laughs) A lumpy line? Like, what the (laughs) (laughs) these titles are a little too literal right like yes (laughs) ladies leave something to the imagination get a little more creative with it what are you gonna do engineers (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea what the title means but i just love that it was so bizarre so i had to include it maybe a listener can explain it to us someday but i mean she had lumpy in the title like But I agree. Like, I think all these people that make thesis, they need like some kind of lesson on how to create something more catchy. Because, yeah, it sounds like soup, like word soup, word stew. I mean, it means exactly that the behavior of a lumpy artificial transmission line as the frequency is (laughs) identified. Can't even see if you get jumbled up trying to say it. It's clear as mud. (laughs) Indefinitely increased. Okay, but like we said before, it's still really tough for women to get jobs as engineers, even with a degree, sadly. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it at the beginning or throughout this season and throughout the whole show, how hard it is for women to get degrees to begin with. You know, we also mentioned several times how hard it was for women with architecture degrees, but it's even harder for industries like engineering 
to this day, the number of women in engineering is much smaller than in architecture. Can she open her own firm where they study the behavior of a lumpy artificial transmission line as the frequency is indefinitely increased? Indefinitely? <laughs> I don't know. You know, just the word lumpy just sounds so silly to me. As opposed to a stiff line? <laughs> well, I guess. But Edith didn't do this. What did she do? So when she got a job offer at General Electric in Schenectady, New York, she took it, even though it was not an engineering role. She worked in the turbine engineering department, supervising and training a few women computers who worked on mechanical stresses on high-speed turbine rotors. She was a natural leader. She keeps getting managing positions. Also Schenectady. I feel like (laughs) I remember that town. Also, she's really going like all over. It's still an impressive role. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, from reporting your hours directly to the AIA, to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Okay, so Edith is doing her thing, working at GE, and she starts working on some side projects, you know, to keep her brain engaged, you know? (laughs) Uh, She has to know what is going to happen to that lumpy transmission line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in her spare time, she casually invents the first graphing calculator. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. What a way to drop this information. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just only the whole reason we are talking about her today. Let me add this one sentence in the middle of the conversation. No big deal. Here you go. <laughs> so this calculator isn't the same as the ones we all used back in high school, but it was a precursor to it. So the Clark calculator, as it was called, solved equations with current voltage, impedance and admittance in power transmission lines. At this time, the power grid was still in its early days and transmission lines weren't very long, only about 50 miles. And engineers would calculate or assume that the capacity and inductance were concentrated at isolated points rather than evenly distributed along the whole line. This meant that when you calculated for a longer line, say 500 miles, you end up with inaccuracies and it doesn't work. Edith said, if accuracy is desired in calculations for long transmission lines, it is absolutely necessary to take into consideration the uniformly distributed inductance and capacity in the line. Yeah, because, you know, if not, it will be lumpy. So go Edith. (laughs) (laughs) What Jessica said. (laughs) So her calculator solved line equations with hyperbolic functions with less than a 1% error. 
I'm sure I'm getting a few things wrong about transmission lines and whatnot, but hopefully a listener will correct us if so. Mm -hmm. I mean, less than a 1% error. It's amazing. Yeah. For those times. Yeah. For those times. And, you know, when it comes to these types of calculations, 1% error, I think that's pretty good. But also the impact of transmission lines is important when we're talking about electricity, you know, so very important work. It was actually a fairly simple design. It had two calibrated radial arms attached to a base chart and all of it got mounted on cardboard. It was also way faster than doing the calculations by hand. It would solve and provide a graphical solution in less than a tenth of the time. Amazing. Right. So this calculator was also a huge deal because it meant the power lines could get longer. And according to the U.S. Department of Energy, this was, quote, the first step towards smart grid technology. So basically, we owe our way of life to Edith. I get it. (laughs) Again, no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she literally put us on the grid. Well, by creating it. But yes. Hashtag mother of tech. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Edith applied for a patent in 1921 for the Clark calculator, and four years later, it was approved. Mm. Four years later? I mean, we know it takes a while, but that seems a little long. Maybe the people reviewing the patent were like... I feel like my other ladies, it was like four years. Really? Well, then maybe it's normal. It's about average, I think, according to our episode 81, right? Isn't it two to three years, two to three, four years? Yeah, I thought it was like... Two to four. That's why I feel yeah. like four years feels a little long because I thought the average was two to three. Well, it's at the end of it. So, OK, but at least she got it done. So go ahead, girl. Woohoo! She's got a patent. Woo-woo. After she filed the patent, she was like, OK, I'm over computing and tired of not being taken seriously as an engineer. Mm. So she left GE and took a one year teaching job at the Constantinople Women's College in Turkey. Edith is back on the move. Now she's international. Yes, literally all over the world. Yeah. Well, apparently that year she left a big absence because in 1922, GE offered her an engineering position in the Central Station Engineering Department, making her the first professional female electrical engineer in the U.S. They were like, baby, come back. (laughs) Exactly. Mm hmm. In 1925, she invented a voltage regulator for long distance power transmission lines to prevent a large drop in terminal voltage. This made it so longer lines can send more current through them and maximize voltage. The patent was approved in 1927. Mm. Thank you, Edith. Getting maximum voltage so we can use all our appliances. Yeah. She got the power. Sorry. Last one. Boom. 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 <laughs> No, we know it won't be. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, not at all. In 1926, she was the first woman to present a paper to the American Institute of Electrical Engineers, AIEE, which is now called the Institute for Electrical and Electronics Engineers, IEEE, at their convention in New York. Her paper was called Steady State Stability in Transmission Systems. Her paper explained how to calc the max power a transmission line could hold without becoming unstable using hyperbolic functions and to model a power system and its behavior. Well, this title is better than the last one. I'll give her that. Yeah, definitely. 
You know, there is something about electrical engineer societies because on Hertha Ayrton episode 87, she was also invited to read her paper to the Institution of Electrical Engineers, IEE, in England. And they were one of the first engineering societies that accepted women in the country. Yeah. Hmm. Edith would also become the first female member of the AIEE and served on the Power and Transmission and Distribution Committee from 1925 to 1927. Who better? Here, here. Here, here. Also, I don't know how people don't call them like AIE or like AIE. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Edith published 18 papers between 1923 and 1945. One paper in 1941 received the National First Paper Prize of the Year Award from the AIEE. I wonder what that one was called. (laughs) Well, you know, they probably didn't give awards for like catchy titles. So but it was still probably good enough, you know, for her to win. Yeah. Despite the catchy title or not. In 1943, Edith published a book, Circuit Analysis of AC Power Systems. It was a collection of her notes and lectures that she would give to new employees. Kind of sounds like it became like a handbook for new engineers. And in 1950, she published part two, which was a textbook for students in electrical engineering and became a standard in grad schools for years. Mm. Our lady is writing standards and textbooks, educating future generations of electrical engineers. What a legacy. Mm. In 1945, Edith retired from GE and moved back to Maryland. What does she do in retirement? Write more books? Become an astronaut, invent a new form of energy that was not allowed by power companies to exist, discover <laughs> definitively the behavior of a lumpy artificial transmission line <laughs> as the frequency is definitely increased. <laughs> indefinitely. Oh, indefinitely. But can't. Well, yeah. Well, maybe she researched the opposite of everything. Maybe instead of it being lumpy, she was like, what's the behavior of a non-lumpy? Like a smooth, <laughs> not <know>. lumpy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> technical term. It's interesting though that out of all the places that she's lived, she moved back home. Oh yeah, sounds like you, Jessica. Hmm. Well, she didn't stay retired for long. Shocker, because in 1947 she took a teaching position at UT Austin in the electrical engineering department. This made her the first female professor of electrical engineering in the U.S. <laughs> well, never mind about that crap about moving back home and like, you know, getting all like coming home. None of that. Also, actually, <laughs> we hadn't covered the South in yeah, her places. Right. So now she's literally been all over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all over the U.S. Hook them horns. Yeah. Ooh, maybe she ran into Mirka Bliznakov. I'd have to check the dates on that, actually. That's true. Mm, cool. In 1948, she became the first female fellow of the AIEE. And in 1945, she received the Society of Women Engineers Achievement Award in recognition of her many original contributions to stability theory and circuit analysis. Mm. Give her them flowers. I did some flower throwing motions. That people Listeners. can't see. But <laughs> yeah. That's the sound. Maybe Jessica will put this on Instagram. Who knows? Yep. Yeah. She decides. Imaginary flowers. In 1948, she had an interview printed in the Daily Texan. She said, there is no demand for women engineers as such as there are for women doctors, but there's always a demand for anyone who can do 
a good piece of work. A woman can. Mm. Mm-hmm. Damn. After teaching for nine years, Edith left UT and actually retired in 1956 and went back to Maryland. This one is for real. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I feel like there's some sort of psych coming on. <laughs> and like, what is retirement, right? Like, I don't know what the definition is anymore because of our ladies. Like, I like to think that maybe she became a lady farmer like a papa, like a a farmer dame. A dame farmer. Yeah, a dame. <laughs> a dame a farm- farmer. <laughs> that would be so good. Going full circle. If she didn't do that, we can make it up right now. Yes. On October 29, 1959, Edith passed away at her home in Olney, Maryland. She was 76 years old. In 2015, Edith was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Mm, 76 years old, but accomplished so much. And, you know, it's great that she was acknowledged for her work. Yeah, what a great life. We owe this lady so much. Mm-hmm. I agree with Jessica. So glad this lady was recognized in her lifetime. I hope that she was happy. Yes. Here, here. James Britton wrote that Edith Clark's engineering career had as its central theme the development and dissemination of mathematical methods that served to simplify and reduce the time spent in laborious calculations in solving problems in the design and operation of large electrical power systems. I could not have said that better myself. Mm-hmm. That explains it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, The Caryatid. This is where we select a woman living today who is doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the caryatids or columns shaped like women found in Greek-style buildings. Without further ado, this week's caryatid is... <laughs> Dr. Susan Hackwood. Dr. Susan. So Susan is an electrical engineer who attended De Montfort University in Leicester, England in 1976. By 1979, which would be the normal length for an undergraduate degree there, she had gotten both her bachelor's in science and her PhD in solid state iconics. After school, she went to work at AT AT&T Bell Labs as department head of the device robotics technology research. It was here that she and her husband, Gerardo Benny invented and named the electro wedding effect. Hmm. Talk about an overachiever. A thousand degrees in the time it takes us mortals to complete one. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you're telling me that in the time that it takes a mortal, someone, a normal person to complete an undergrad degree, Susan completes that and gets a PhD. That's beyond impressive. Man, this season we have done a lot of exploring of topics that are way above our brainwave that I can't even pretend to know or understand what electro wedding is. But no, <laughs> what? I thought electricity is not supposed to get wet. Like what? <laughs> but, you know, just on Susan's background alone, I could see why you chose her as this week's character. So there you go. Yeah. And she worked at AT&T just like Edith. Exactly. Right. After this, Susan moved into academia, teaching at UC Santa Barbara before becoming the founding dean at UC Riverside's College of Engineering in 1990. She's no longer the dean, but she continues to teach electrical engineering at UC Riverside. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Founding dean. What a great title. (laughs) 
She also served as the executive director for the California Council on Science and Technology, CCST, for 23 years. The CCST is a nonprofit that was designed as an advisor to the California state government on scientific and technological developments that could help inform policy related to those issues. I love this. Guys, I think we should really do a season on policy changers or policy makers because this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Future season alert. Okay, before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Edith and Susan along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Gable's podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, and Gable Media is all about building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your lady farmers, your gentleman farmers, your regular farmers, your farmers that do this for a living. Tell your neighbors, tell your engineers, tell them to give us five stars on iTunes. Tell them to write us a review and this will help us all reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on X, formerly Twitter, at shebuildspod. Bye! Bye! Bye. I almost wanted to say lumpy people, but I thought that might be offensive. Lumpy people. You could have said lumpy lines. <laughs> Tell your lumpy, lumpy lines. lines. Tell your lumpy lines. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs>